from the capital city, I'm Jazz Garrett. Juno Symphony's holiday chair concert performed Saturday evening and Sunday afternoon. It was at Thunder Mountain High School. It featured the symphony's string ensemble, as well as the group Vox Borealis, and the Sika Fine Arts Camp's program Brass Ensemble. Charlotte Truitt, executive director for the symphony, spoke to how their 60th season is going so far. It feels like a great season. We've had so many people getting excited about the Juno Symphony. It's a great celebration. This third holiday cheer concert was fabulous. It started in the middle of the pandemic. Together we did it virtually and it, we had it last year at a limited capacity, but this year is pretty much a full house. Chira adds when their next concert series will be. Our next show for the symphony is January 28 and 29 at Juno Douglas High School and it's our Beethoven 6 concert. Roger Schmidt, Sitka Fine Arts Brass Director, shares feeling Christmas at the Holiday Chair Concert. I feel the spirit of people. For me, that's when I think of Christmas, what makes Christmas Christmas for me. It's a time of human spirit, people ideally caring for each other and gone through some rough times. And I think it's just, it's a chance to remind ourselves how much we love each other, how much we care, how much we can share. the brass band playing We Wish You a Merry Christmas with the audience singing along. After a three-year wait, Juno Skating Club's free holiday show performed Sunday afternoon at the Treadwell Arena. Alex Sargent, a coach of Juno Skating Club, spoke to what went into preparing this show. Every show takes so many parts and pieces and people. It is all about the music, the programs, and the time to actually build those programs that the skaters skate to. And then also coordinating with those that'll play the music and those that'll help run through the show. So it is all about the coaches and it's all about the volunteers. There were 21 performances from a wide age range of skaters. Well, this year we involved our Learn to Skate. Usually we kind of wait for Learn to Skate to come and be a part of our spring show and not do such a highlight to our Learn to Skate. Learn to Skate is our bread and butter. It's where our young ones come from to then actually become great skaters that we have now. I, we've got a couple seniors, so 17, 18 year olds. Sargent commented on the holiday music. Really impressed. A lot of the kids chose their music, but I was very impressed by the fact that they did choose really good Christmas pieces of music. They really did hone in on the Christmas theme. How well it just brought everything together and really put that cherry on top. She also invited the community to their spring show. March 31st and April 1st, we have three shows, one on Friday night, two on Saturday. We do bring in guest artists for that show. There will be ticket sales for that that will come up. This show is free. It's kind of our, hey, welcome, do you know, this is what we do. Come check out Treble Ice Arena. But the spring show, we will be selling some tickets. Les Perry, the CEO of Travel Juno, 
spoke to a press release Friday announcing Ironman Group's cancellation of the 2023 Ironman Alaska event. What we want to really remember is that uh, the Ironman team is deeply appreciative of everything that Juno and Travel Juno did to launch Ironman Alaska. We also uh, want to keep in mind that uh, Ironman has kept the door open for an event in the future and that um, the Travel Juno team knows that we have the capacity alongside the community and our partners to secure and host a marquee event. They they had such a great experience in Juno um, that they did not want to uh, lock us out of a, a future event if that's possible. Perry adds that Juno welcomed athletes with open arms and will if they return in the future. Uh, Just to reiterate that this is not a reflection of the support that uh, the Ironman team, that athletes uh, receive from the community. They were overwhelmed by the welcoming community and the uh, all of the cheers and the support that they got from the entire community. Perry said athletes who registered for Ironman Alaska will receive additional information from the Ironman group regarding deferrals. She commented that economic pressure and inflation led to this decision made by the Ironman group. I think it's affecting the entire Ironman corporation. They are having to make some very difficult corporate decisions at this point. That was Girls on the Run counting down for their biannual fun run, a 5K at the Diamond Park Fieldhouse. The fun run was Saturday morning, and the 3rd to 5th graders had practiced for 10 weeks. Head coach Brianna Stort said over half the girls on the run team and half of the e 2 clat scene participated Saturday. e 2 clat scene means strengthen your spirit. Natalie Watson, Girls on the Run statewide manager with AWARE and a sub-coach, spoke to values Girls on the Run focuses on. Aiming to do a 5K at the end, it's like about goal setting and they're trying to increase the amount they can run uh, throughout the season. And then like when they do it, then they know, oh, I can do big hard things if I practice over time. Girls on the Run is all about empowering the girls through running and you know working with their team so building a kind of team spirit and it's about peer mentorship making healthy choices it's like about learning to kind of look inside and feel their own power about like peer pressure gossip kind of like core stuff girls need to know as they go into adolescence watson added both of the teams also do community service projects so there was also like a community service project that they had to do and they raised money for the Ronald McDonald House. The Etuoklatsi team picked up trash. There's always some kind of component. The girls have to come up with a project themselves and, and run it. She shared their sponsors. Where and Clinket and Haida partner to put Etuoklatsi on and, and also Belly Medical Care is a financial sponsor. And then the CBJ, get a grant from the CBJ to help run both the programs as well. The Alaska Department of Transportation and Public Facilities and City and Borough of Juneau is holding a second public open house for the Juneau-Douglas North Crossing planning and environmental linkages. We'll have details on that and other stories when News of the North continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to News of the North.
The Alaska Department of Transportation and Public Facilities and City and Borough of Juneau is holding a second public open house for the Juneau-Douglas North Crossing Planning and Environmental Linkages, or PAL, study. It will take place Monday afternoon at the Jack from 4 to 6. The Juneau Chamber of Commerce's Craig Dahl provided a background for members during their weekly luncheon. He said Second Crossing has been a chamber priority for decades. We chose about four years ago to bring this up again. We met with Mayor Kelch, so that'll give you a benchmark of how long ago it was. And Mayor Kelch was willing to put $250,000 in the CIP budget for the city which was the, um, basically the 10% uh, CBJ share of the $2.3 million it takes to do a Pell study, which was the next logical step to bring this project back online again. It took until about 11 months ago. Uh, Katie, when Katie Kester came on board, she, was, she inherited the effort. It took us that long to get a memorandum of agreement between the CBJ and the Department of Transportation and they, in turn, then moved forward by <coughs> putting out the bid and creating the, um, getting Dow Engineering to do the, the Pell study, uh, which is assessing the different opportunities and obstacles that will come up with the development of a second crossing. Dahl says now is the right time to pick this up. The stars have kind of lined up, and mostly because of, uh, probably because of a lot of the infrastructure money uh, that came about us because of COVID. But we actually have an allocation uh, through Senator Murkowski. So the, the Pell study, which will take another several months before it comes out, but we actually have enough money set aside already from the federal level to conduct the next phase, the design. Now, that isn't going to pay for it, but there is money out there to be, uh, to be sought after. This is probably the one-shot window where this now makes sense. So instead of arguing about, well, we don't have any way to pay for it, we might. And, uh, and the only way we're going to get there is to finish the design and, and uh, the crossing. Juno Mayor Beth Weldon spoke on tonight's assembly meeting. She said they will be taking public comment on ordinances. And then Monday we do have an assembly meeting. Um, and just for public hearing, just a few items. It's a pretty light meeting for us. Um, we're doing an ordinance transferring $200,000 from Douglas Highway CIP, which is finished out to uh, Hospital Drive. Um, improvements having to do with their water system and their ED department. She listed several that will be up for hearing. We'll have the ordinance that we've been talking about quite a bit, so this is time for public hearing related to property, ta property tax appeals and codifying the Board of Equalization Rules of Procedure. And then we'll have an ordinance authorizing the manager to leave some space in, at JPD for um, uh, aircraft and air traffic control safety equipment. And then we'll finish with an ordinance amending the investments and in collateral chapter of Title 57 related to investment policies. And this is just uh, ordinance that uh, updates um, and would add some sustainability to our investment uh, objectives. And had this to say about City Manager Rory Watt being awarded Municipal Official of the Year at the Alaska Municipal League Conference. Congratulations to Rory for yeah. um, getting Municipal Officer of the Year and also a huge shout out to Jeff Rogers, who is now the president of Alaska Government Financial Officers Association. He was voted in by his peers yesterday, so we're pretty proud of him too. 
Members of the Alaska Marine Highway Operations Board were given an update on the Cascade Point project during the Marine Highway Operations Board meeting this month. The department's Catherine Keith provided the background and said that no funding has been committed to the project. This was a project that um, has stemmed back to 2020 out to the reshaping working group's recommendations to DOT that we look at this project because they felt that this was a way for DOT to reduce some of the operating costs and potentially increase revenue. So from that point, DOT had been investigating it, although there has not been um, there and there is not funding committed yet to this project. Keith says the project would be a public-private partnership. She explained what that agreement would entail. Cost estimate right now is very high, rough order of magnitude. That's partially what this first phase uh, will get us to. The past estimates for the build out of the terminal are, are roughly around 36 million. And so one thing um, that's different with this project is that it is a public private partnership that we're focusing on. And that's partly why, you know, we wanted to put it in the stip because if this did prove to be a viable project and it made sense for all parties that the, the state is committed and that that could help provide assurance to private investors willing to put money um, on the capital construction of this terminal. Um, DOT wouldn't be constructing the terminal. This would be something that uh, Gold Belt would construct. But we do want the ability to use this terminal. It could be a viable solution for AMHS and provide that operational cost savings. And the best way to do that would be through lease payments. And so part of this strategy would be front-loading the lease payments for what would be a 20-year period. She provided a timeline as it stands. This item that's in the stip right now is for lease payments because uh, we're working uh, on an agreement right now with Gold Belt to just map out how this could look. Uh, we don't have an MOU in place yet, although that is the next step for us. Um, and then at that point, the next steps will be uh, to just pursue some preliminary design. At this point, it's unsure what the capital cost of this project would be. And so that'll be the first point for us is to just do this feasibility analysis. Um, And then from there, uh, we expect that will take about 14 months. Ben Lauder, a heritage archaeologist for the TRT government, spoke about teaming up with Wayne Carlick to repatriate a Chilkat blanket from the Talku River Clinket First Nations last week. They are still in the process of bringing it back home to try and support Wayne as, as much as possible. I'm an archaeologist who works with the Taku River Clinket community here in, in Atlin, and Wayne has been a, a huge champion of Clinket culture. And part of my job here and part of what I'm trying to, to do, too, is repatriate artifacts, cultural items that have been taken away from the community over the years as a, as a result of colonization. Overall, I think it's been really exciting for the community to find out about this piece. He commented on obstacles in the way of repatriating not only this Chilkat blanket, but many Clinket artifacts. What, what issue this really brings to light is it's great in this instance that Peter Wright was able to come forward and pay for this piece of regalia that was removed from the community sometime in around 1880, likely much before then. But it was at a very steep price to this community. It was the final price that we're sitting at right now is 
around $50,000 Canadian, and that doesn't include curation or shipping or anything. That's just getting this robe up to the community because it was actually sold somewhere in the United States in the lower 48. It, it really raises the, the issue of why a lot of these big auction houses and, and art houses are selling these Indigenous artifacts in the first place. The Governor's Annual Holiday Open House at the Governor's Residence will be held this Tuesday from 3 to 6 p.m. Alaska's newly elected Lieutenant Governor Nancy Dahlstrom and Mr. Kit Dahlstrom will also be at the residence. Territorial Governor Walter Eli Clark and his family held the first open house on New Year's Day, 1913. The tradition has been held yearly apart from two years during World War II and 2020, due to COVID-19. The residence will feature performances by Faith Community School, Catherine Pashigan, the Floyd Dryden Choir, Jam, the JDHS Band and Choral, TMHS Jazz, Vox Borealis, and Sherry Patterson. This year's cookies include chocolate chip, peppermint macaron, apple caramel oatmeal, and chocolate espresso. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. I'm Jazz Garrett for News of the North.